guys, real quick, uh, before we start the show, just letting you know we split this episode into two because it was overly long, and I have an infant child, and I'm not getting a lot of sleep, so this is the Red Wedding episode, and it's almost two hours long, so I feel like it's justified. Uh, anyway, here's part one. Part two will be coming next week. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's Weird Al Yankovic parody song of a tv show uh a game of thrones with me as always ryan ryan how you doing doing great how are you tonight doug pretty good a uh, very special episode of ashamed of thrones um this episode is called the reigns of Castamere, but everybody knows it as the red wedding um so that's exciting right yeah i mean i think this is probably the most well-known episode I think it garnered the largest fan reaction as well. We talked about it before, but I remember um, I wasn't a show watcher at the time, but I remember people saying on Facebook, I'll never sleep again. I had to walk around my neighborhood for an hour to calm down and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's weird. It's not so, like watching an election or something. It's just a goddamn TV show. <laughs> I know. But people become invested in these shows. That's for sure. All right. So, uh, yeah, very exciting. Uh, and for the special occasion, we have two guests uh, from my left. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Jim. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I, 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 Jim? I'm, I'm Jeff. I, I was trying to figure out who was on your left, so I'm sorry. Oh, it's plain as day. But, uh, okay. Uh, we have Jeff and Jim. Uh, Jeff, um, the um, how would you phrase yourself? Proprietor? Um, entrepreneur? Podcast? Empresario? Uh, uh, I am the uh, co-creator of the Greater Boston Podcast, which Jim Johansson also appears in. Oh, uh, and provides some of the music for. Um, it's a audio drama set in a fictionalized alt-universe Boston. Now you say alt, does that mean happens. it's very conservative and... Not an alt-right universe. So, <laughs> um, yeah, our Boston is still very left-leaning and progressive. I don't know. I've I heard about the Boston Boston busing thing that happened in the 70s. It seems pretty... We bring up. that We bring that up this season. It oh, is really? fucked up. We bring that up. Yeah, yeah. it comes up. It's it's it was a dark time, not good stuff. Hey, come on, don't, you yeah, don't say dark say time. Much. No, 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 guys, come on. All right, well, I don't know if we'll have Jeff back on. <laughs> okay, and then we have Jim. You might remember Jim. Uh, you were on the first episode of the rewatch, right? That is correct. Okay, so how have you been doing, Jim? Uh, I've been doing just fine. Thank you very much. Listening, listening along, as many loyal fans do. And are you playing any uh, shows coming up at the? Riles Jazz, Jazz Club in, uh, what is it, uh, Boston? Uh, yeah, Riles is technically in Cambridge. Nothing on the books, but uh, hopefully hopefully, hopefully, something soon. And what is the name of the trio so people can check you out? I'm usually there with the Ethan K. Band. Ethan K. Band. All right, the one listener that might be in the greater uh, you know, New England area if wants to get in the car and drive over to see uh, <laughs> the Ethan K. Band, please do that. All right, guys, uh, let's get into it. This is uh, Season 3, Episode 9. Episode 9s are always the you know climactic episode of the season, even though there's one after that. Uh, and this one is no exception. Um, so I guess let's just do a, like a little roundabout. I guess not as far as uh, what you feel about the episode, just your personal Red Wedding experience, whether it was in the books or, um, or on the TV show, watching the TV show. Let's start... Um, on my right with Jeff. I uh, I read the Red Wedding in the books first, uh, and I was it was you know I was tearing tearing through that book pretty quickly um, because it, it's probably my favorite, and just so much happens. It kind of builds and builds and builds, and then it's just like stuff, 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 stuff. Um, and it was it was pretty shocking, and I had to kind of put the book down and think about it for a second and think like. How do I how do I think about this? And in retrospect, I really liked it because I thought thematically it made a lot of sense. Um, just like I thought Ned Stark's death, as shocking it was as that was to me at the time, and I was a show I was a show watcher at that point, not a book reader. Um, again, thematically, I think it, it fits with what they're trying to do. So, th- um, so uh, 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 expound upon that now thematically. Um... Well, the Starks are all about honor, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like. Um, um, we got. We need to pause real quick. Yeah. Is somebody assembling uh, furniture or something? What's what's going on? There's so much background noise. It's uh, it's like yeah. I, I, I have to agree. Um, 
Can there be anything more embarrassing than being on the Game of Thrones podcast and having your beard if the microphone? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's kind <laughs> of something you'd expect to have happen. Literally the neck portion of my beard. Oh, nice. <laughs> is that is that better? Much better. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jeff, so you were saying was, uh, the Starks uh, are all about honor. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a big theme of it. You could you could argue that Ned's, Ned's death kind of happens after he sort of um, sells out a little bit. By agreeing to sort of, um, you know, make a deal to save his family and stuff like that. I don't know. Well, and I yeah, think that I like it's 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 arguable, but um, or or maybe it's just sort of like he he's the last honorable man, and like he gets killed, and that's that. And I, then you've got Rob, who kind of marries someone, um, even though he's not supposed to. You could even argue that Catelyn kind of betrays honor because she lets Jamie Lannister go. Um, that's that's another one I'd kind of argue against. But in any event, I feel like thematically that kind of makes sense in terms of the Stark family and what and what the books in the show are trying to do with the Stark family. I think. Yeah, I just I, I yeah I think that uh, it's just showing you that uh, some characters are uh, not are ancillary to the main plot. Like um, like John, you think Rob is a main character, but he didn't even have a point of view when you think back on it. Um, I mean, Catelyn did, but you know, the parents, the older, the older generation has to die for the younger generation to really, uh, take hold. We see this time and again, and I think that's what I'm seeing. Um, you know, it's like Dumbledore or, you know, Gandalf or I know, you know, we talk about, it's not a direct, um, you know, parent for John. I mean, Catelyn actually didn't like him very much, but still it was just another, uh, I guess the foundation of his home being eroded John's because I think, you know. If you had to, if you had to put it, there's three protagonists, right? Uh, main protagonists, I guess: John, Daenerys, and Tyrion. Yeah, clearly. All right. I th- yes, I think so, and that, uh, that's where we speculated will be the three dragons. Three heads of the dragon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All makes sense. Okay, and uh, Jim, tell us about your uh, red wedding um, experience. So I read through the first four books before the show was on. Um, and had kind of, as I was getting deeper into the books, like peaked on Wikipedia sort of a little bit. So, so kind of was aware that was coming. Jeez, um, why so would you do that? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, because I was young and dumb, I guess. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it, questions. It didn't work. Yeah, I just wanted to know. Um, so, I, I didn't quite have the kind of gut punch. I think that that everybody else sort of does when they kind of read it out of the blue for the first time. But even still kind of knowing, I mean, the the, the chapter in the books is, is just so rough. Um, it's still really affecting. Um, so I, I was, as a human, I was moved, moved by it. Even though it wasn't a surprise. Right. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And, and uh, yeah, Brian, you said you actually heard about the event uh, secondhand before you even were watching the show. Is that right? Yeah, and then I went and when I saw the mess uh, or the uh, uh, hubbub about it, I went and looked up what happened, you know, on a Wikipedia summary. So I knew entirely what was going to happen going into the episode. Um, it wasn't that shocking to me. It didn't hit me that hard because uh, I kind—I think we've discussed. I'm kind of detached from the characters. I kind of look at them more as puppets than people. So I think actually the worst part of it for me was was, <laughs> like was the dog sacks. getting it. The dog. Uh-huh. They're just <laughs> yeah, meat sacks. Or the wolf getting. It. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, knowing exactly what's going to happen, it doesn't hit you the same. I mean, it was still brutal, that first stabbing onto Lisa. But then, I mean, I just kind of knew they were all going to die. So uh, it was just a matter of it taking place, you know. Yeah, I can't recall my uh, feelings. Uh, I feel like I was like Jeff, and uh, I uh, tore through this book uh, amazingly fast. It was, you know, it's just, and it's high point after high point. I, I can't stress this enough. Um, you know, uh, Storm of Swords is just fucking awesome. It's a it's a great read. Um, and you know, there's just so much in there. You got Tyrion uh, killing his dad. You got the Mountain and the Viper. Um, just a whole bunch of awesome payoffs, and this is just one of them. So, uh, yeah, uh, I remember uh, all the reaction videos too. People just waiting for <laughs> people seeing this coming and trying to like <laughs> film their loved ones reacting in horror. I watched uh, yeah. several of those. That's always good. You gotta, you gotta wonder if like you're watching the show, and some dude's just like, "Hey man, I'm gonna turn on the camera." Like, don't, don't you think some deep shit's going down? Like, why would you just be like, "Yeah, that's a totally normal thing to do." Like, videotape you watching television. Yeah, yeah. man. 
Like I, I don't know. That 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 whole phenomenon always kind of drives me a little bit crazy. But so, but, do you think the people are just uh, dumb, whatever. or do you think they're pe- playing it up? They're aware that they're on TV, or are they getting filmed? By I think friends? it's a, it's it could be a little bit of both, given the people, given the situation. Um, I definitely think some people are playing it up, and I, I I'm positive that there's at least a few of those videos that are probably completely like bullshit but whatever yeah i just like the looks of people like it looks somewhat you know the ones that are just grabbing their pillows and just staring uh straight ahead. yeah those are my favorites to... <laughs> seems pretty genuine to me i don't think they're yeah. you know hiding anything all right well i guess none of them i would oh, go ahead i would just say none of them are as good as the the season one reaction video <laughs> when they killed ned the one guy that oh, was like that pacing dude. around his apartment because it wasn't when it was that on was... he was just Totally yeah. shaken up afterward, and his right. friend. It was just his but, friend, like, taping it. <laughs> yeah. That, that was real, and you knew it was real. You could tell it was real, and that was yeah. that was awesome. So I will say that. Uh, I got to look up the guy's name, because he's awesome. <laughs> I love his friend says, like, whatever. He's upset as if somebody actually died. Yeah. You would think somebody actually died in real life. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I know he has this uh, show, Otaku Assemble, uh, on um, uh, YouTube. So if you want to check him out, he's uh, pretty entertaining. I don't know if he still does. He used to do uh, like episode reviews kind of like this, but uh, they're probably not as good as ours, so don't bother uh, watching those. Mm. But let's go jump right into it, guys. All right, so um, uh, so the episode starts off with uh, Robin Catlin staring at a map and discussing military strategy um, and what the road ahead looks like. Um, they are going to attack Castle Rock, uh, which is Lannister's home castle. Rob feels guilty that he sent Theon to negotiate with the Iron Islanders, even though his mother told him not to, and it ended up being a clusterfuck, and his brothers being killed, at least uh, to their knowledge, and Winterfell being burned. Um, and they both agree that it's a risky plot, but they don't have any other choice, and it should all work out as long as Walder Frey cooperates. Uh, I like this little bit of false hope in the beginning of the episode uh, because it's all going to go to shit pretty soon. Yeah. Good setup. Rewatching it, I actually thought this was kind of a brilliant scene for a couple, a couple of reasons. Um, one, exactly that. Like, you get this sense, like, oh, this, this might actually go yeah. their way. They might actually, you know, be successful. And that totally downplays what's going to happen at the end. Also, like, it's kind of foreshadowing, too, at the same time. Because when you when you say something like as long as uh, you know right. Walder Frey cooperates, while mention, mentioning like the Lannisters, and you know you get the sense of like well he's going to cooperate, but just not with you. Um, and then you know her line at the end of the scene about you know make them know what it feels like to lose everything that they care about. That's exactly what happens to her at the end of the yeah. episode. Um, so I I think it's kind of really masterfully written in a couple of different ways. Masterfully though. Masterfully, okay. Like it's a, it's a, that's a damn good first scene for what's going to happen later on. I think like, it is. I was surprised. It's a pretty good setup. Yeah, I would agree. I think they do a nice job of, you know, not making it this big tension thing. They're really trying to make it seem a little bit like things could be okay before they, of course, pull the rug out from under you. Uh, and I think it's yeah, a- I agree with that. It's not it's not overdone. I mean, it's just the right amount of okay. If this was actually a normal scene, this is the way it would be written instead of. Kind of playing up the uh, the the coming surprise, and I think it's it's playing off that trope. You know, the good guys are kind of in a tough spot. This is you know Act Two, but if you know, you know, we have the plans for the Death Star, and that's a one in the million shot. But I think we got a chance. Yeah. Kind of like thing they you know they're setting up the hero to prevail here, uh, and they're just gonna you know um, fuck with your expectations. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, pretty good setup, but uh, not a whole hell of a lot uh, uh, to talk about, I guess. So let's move on. Sure. Sure. So the Walder Frey welcomes the Lannisters to his castle. The visitors go through the ceremony of eating salt, and uh, we can get to why that happens after I describe the scene. Uh, Rob begs forgiveness of Walder, but uh, uh, Walder says that he spurned, actually spurned his daughters. Walder comically introduces what could have been all the McPoyle brood. Um, by the way, Craster would have been in heaven and if he was uh, switched out with Walder. <laughs> they would have gotten along. <laughs> Yeah. Rob apologizes to the Lady McPoyles, uh, which Frey clops, and you can't really tell. It seems initially like it's mocking, but then uh, his next statements make it seem to be authentic. Frey then wants to take a ganders at Talisa and calls her forward. 
Frey says he understands why Rob did what he did because uh, Talisa is hotter than all the Lady McPoyles. Uh, Frey makes a number of insulting comments about Talisa, or I guess they could be taken as complimentary in a vacuum about her tight buttocks uh, while the Starks look on. I mean, clearly this is an insult to the Starks, and I'm sure Frey knows that. Uh, Frey then says that he is ready to put the whole mess behind him, and uh, let's get ready to have a wedding. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so my first question is is what, one thing that uh, Frey actually uh, Walder said is, why did they even bring Talisa to this? Thank you. Thank yeah. you yeah. so much. Well, they it's don't. So- Dumb. It's so dumb that she's there. I'm sorry, but well, they do, it that's really why is. that's why they don't do it in the books. This is just show exactly. invention. Uh, let's just talk about. Let's go on a tangent about Talisa, and then we'll come back to talking about this scene. We know that I think that she was put in here in the show as a show invention, just to uh, subvert the expectations of the book readers that were expecting to know what was going to go down at the red wedding and her death and brutal stabbing at the end. Is kind of like adding shock value for those that audience, right? Yeah, I have a different I have a different idea of why that she's there. Okay, and, and this this really pisses me off. Sorry, I'm going to go on a Jeff rant. I Please. apologize in advance. Jeff rant. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like the show did a really big disservice to to Catelyn's character um, because they have her release um, Jamie Lannister before she gets word that what she thinks is Brandon Rickon being like hung burnt you know on the castle of Winterfell. uh she she releases him before she thinks that most of her kids are dead the whole reason she releases him is so that you know the few remaining her daughters maybe can be kept safe right, mm-hmm. right. so i feel like by by kind of changing that structure they really do a disservice to her character right. at the same time i think that talisa is there to basically give rob more of a motivation um than he had before like in the books he just kind of meets this woman and that and that's sort of it. And he falls in love. And and I, I don't believe she's pregnant. In fact, I think it's pretty much it's 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 the fact that she's not. And I think that they purposely kind of give him this woman and give him more of a relationship with him and have her be pregnant just to give him more of like a sympathetic sense of honor. Like I'm gonna marry this woman, and yeah, it might be not it might not it might be dishonorable to the phrase, but at least I'm gonna be honorable to her because I got her pregnant. And I think that's kind of like a like a pussy move. Like I feel like, I don't know. It doesn't, it bugs me. It, well, the two of them together really kind of irks me a little bit. Well, in the book, Jane but, Westerling, it comes out afterwards, not at the time. We don't know this. We just think it's some random girl he falls in love with, but it turns out that it was kind of like he was catfished by her mother. Um, oh, right. That's right. So I like, guess that's not, as, I guess that's not as compelling, but it's still no. just kind of, I don't know. I do. I think the whole, I definitely agree with you, Jeff. I think in the book, the whole sequence of events there and then sort of everybody's motivation that comes off of it is is just much better in general. And even Rob, too, because he, whatever, gets kind of semi-seduced again after he learns about Bran and Rickon while he's injured by um, right. the Westerling. And then, like, whatever, to flowers her and then feels a sense of honor to sort of marry her despite the fact that he's kind of betrothed. So it's that Ned Stark kind of honor against, you know, sort of one vow versus another vow, right. kind of biting him in the butt. Um, so I feel like all that fits together and everybody's motivation in the, in the books is sort of much clearer and makes a lot more sense. The way they played with the timeline and when people learn about Winterfell and Bran and Rickon in the show just makes everything really confusing and, but do, you, and just, do you agree with jeff that yeah. talisa is there to make rob more sympathetic or motivate him i don't know i think it's i mean i find him less sympathetic honestly because he just kind of randomly falls in love with a girl i feel like it's more sympathetic if you kind of messed up and you're trying to do right by yeah. somebody that's there i find versus, him less sympathetic versus too. just like i kind of just let myself fall in love with another person like i mean I if guess, you know you're betrothed like i feel like you could try to stop that i don't know i should say i think it's the show's attempt at making him seem more sympathetic right now i don't think it's successful just an attempt yeah i I could be wrong i don't know i I did think it made it more success or uh more sympathetic in that you know you i think you feel worse for a guy if he sees his pregnant wife murdered before he's murdered well yeah yeah i don't think there's any question about that but i mean i I understand that your points as well all right so let's talk about this okay sorry go (laughs) no no no, go ahead 
I'll, I'll talk about it later when it comes up. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> let, yeah, let's keep it moving. So, um, yeah, I, you know, obviously you could just tell it was bullshit all the way, just kind of rubbing the Starks, uh, Walter Frey's just rubbing the Starks' nose in it, saying, it wasn't me, you spurned my girls, and then they... Um, <laughs> one of my favorites is just Ed Muir's, uh, his faces. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, God. Yeah. That was so Which great. Which one of these is mine? <laughs> right. Which one of these am I saddled with? <laughs> and, and you know, half of, half of their names sounded like uh, George's guests on Seinfeld when they were <laughs> Jerry Rattel. Remember the name of uh, a woman's name that rhymed with a, uh, a part of the female anatomy, Mulva? <laughs> <laughs> odd conventions at the uh, at the phrase. Well, I thought it was like uh, George Foreman's kids. Do you know what George Foreman's kids' names are? Yeah, like George, 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 Real. Georgia, Georgina. It's really sick. He's got like thirteen kids, and they're all some derivative of his own name. Yeah, uh, it's awful. It's pretty messed up. Okay. The one thing I will say about it is that, I mean, it plays is pretty goofy, and it is pretty goofy. But I do kind of like that. I mean, it kind of downplays Walter Frey as a dangerous person because he just comes yeah. across as this old, like, lech. Petty. And then, right, and, like, so then to have it sort of turn out that, like, oh, actually, he, like, I mean, not really him. I mean, one of the other characters who are more crafty, but, like, that he kind of does get him and, you know. Well, he had to play an acting part. All, he, had like, to, he had to play an acting part here. I mean, he was going to kill him anyway, He, you know. Right. You know, he he could have just been nice to him. The 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 average, you know, uh I guess amateur at at this what I would probably do would be if I'm going to fuck somebody over, I'm probably going to be really nice to them uh to lure them into a false state of security. Uh Walter Frey is smart enough to realize that if he does that, it'll be suspicious because he's normally an asshole. So he has to be an yeah. asshole. Um that's his yeah. baseline. Yeah, but I definitely think he's enjoying like what he's doing. Need, like needling um, the Starks at the same time by insulting her so much. Like, there's definitely a part of him that's just like, I'm gonna have fucking fun with this. Like, oh, this yeah. is this is gonna be like, you know, this is what I live for, kind of. Um, Which is sad. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a pretty mean old bastard for sure. Um, it makes him a fun character. I think some of the stuff goes a little bit like at at a certain point, I was like, okay, we get it. Like, right. it, you don't you it's don't need long. to like. Keep going here but like whatever i think that's the, the same response to almost every walter frey scene yes yeah, yeah. including and, the ending for my money but whatever yeah. <laughs> right okay so uh we uh get a break from all this and we um go to outside yunkai where the unsullied standing guard is danny and her lieutenants are also looking at a map just like rob uh talking about military strategy uh dario uses this opportunity as an excuse to uh initiate physical contact with danny uh this is pickup artist 101 type stuff but uh he's a master at it uh so dario says he's familiar with uh the city and there's a back door that uh his troops use for uh sneaking to the city to visit whorehouses um which he himself is above of course um he says he wants to enter the gate and sneak around uh open the front door and let the army in um but unlike ramsey he only needs two good men not 12 uh, to get it done. Uh, and that's going to be Jorah and Grey Worm. Uh, Jorah is skeptical at first and um, calls out Dario. And Dario uh, accurately says uh, something along the lines of, uh, you have a very suspicious, mi- or suspicious mind. In my uh, experience, only dishonest people think this way. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, yeah. And then after consulting Grey Worm to uh, see if he trusts Dario, um, yeah, the mission is a go. And uh, just there at the end, uh, Barrison wants to tag along, but Jorah says he has to stand guard with the queen. And it kind of comes off as like a shitty patronizing uh, thing. Uh, and that's how the scene ends. I'm not sure if I agree that that was patronizing, but I do think that Jorah, this is, I think Jorah's starting to go into real creep mode here, where I think he oh, feels God, like yes. he, he's yeah, getting pushing cucked. people away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's so of jealous House, of Dario. I mean, it might as well. Jorah of House Friend Zone is how I start referring to him. Yeah. Exactly. Around yeah. <laughs> nice. But not, you're right. Not a whole lot to the scene other than it's setting up the later uh, kind of stupid attack. Oh, I forgot yeah. about how I don't like the, the old Dario. I like the new Dario a lot more. Oh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm actually the, I'm actually the opposite. The I opposite. hated, I hated oh. the old Dario for a long time, but now like yeah. the new Dario is so like, I feel like the new Dario would fit into like a romantic comedy starring Re- Seth Rogen or something. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> this guy is kind of like, at least he's like 
otherworldly and like kind of weird. Uh, That's whereas, true. Like, cause like, yeah, like him, like being he definitely eaten, romanced him up for the, for the, when they replaced him, I will agree with that. Yeah. Well, they made him more of a real, uh, or not real. They made him more, uh, of a character. Whereas here it kind of feels like aloof, like, and like strange. Yeah. And I think yeah. that kind of works a little bit better for my money. I, I just think the new Dario is obnoxious and just like kind of too much of a bro. He's kind of an obnoxious character, though. But yeah, I, oh, I see what you're saying. I hate him in the books for sure. I, I, I'm i not a big fan yeah. of Dario, period. Let's just get that out of the yeah. way. Uh, but uh, I, ca- I have a new appreciation for old Dario. Okay. Okay. What I will gonna... say uh, oh, sorry. when I asked my girlfriend which Dario she preferred, she she definitely said she preferred the first Dario. So wow. apparently, wow. to some to some women, he's a little bit more dreamy. Well, she's a girlfriend after all. So yeah. I'm a hairy all right, let's guy, get it out so of the, sure Let's get it out of the way. That, actually, <laughs> who would we rather bang? Anyway. Old Dario, new Dario. <laughs> Starting on the left, Jim, go. I mean, that new, that old Dario is uh, is pretty otherworldly. So all I guess right. I would like to be taken one for to old Dario. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I'm Team New Dario all the way. Sorry, guys. <laughs> all right, Sorry. Brian. He's dreamy. <laughs> well, uh, being that I'm operating with the, the, the conditions you set in one of those <laughs> yes, yes, way, not, way, uh, to, way uh, to make that clear. Pass insecure uh, bastard. No, I, I think the old Dario looks more like a woman, so I guess the old Dario. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that's three to one. Sorry, Jeff. I, it's okay. I've got new Dario all, all, all yourself. I'll take I'll take old Dario's sloppy uh, thirds as opposed to new Dario straight away. All right, so uh, let's move on to the next scene. <laughs> all right, Sam so and Gilly are wandering around north of the wall while Sam prattles on about castles. Uh, but despite all the uh, prattling, he does know of a secret way through the wall because of his book learnings. Gilly does not understand words or the concept of words and basically says, uh, you're a wizard, Samuel Tarley. Um, and <laughs> they arrive upon the wall and Gilly is awed by the wall. Uh, this uh, we've I mean, we've beat the subject to death, Doug. Sam and Gilly suck. Oh, well, let's, let's find out what our guests suck. think about the courtship of Sam and Gilly. Uh, yeah, sucks. Um, uh, I feel like. I I feel like I have a little bit more sympathy for it than other folks, but it, I mean, I wouldn't really argue that it's great. So I, I, I am more sympathetic towards it uh, as well. But as the show has gone on in this rewatch, I'm kind of over it. I'm seeing, I'm trying to see Brian's well, way just because it's overplayed. Like you know where it goes, right? Because like where it's headed is really kind of painful. Like I just think of that the scene at her at you know his house like in the last season and just how like but Jeff know. this is the whole the whole point that we've discussed in the show or in, in our, the, and I, it's become apparent that you don't listen is that uh, <laughs> I listen the, I'm, I'm the, behind that's the, all. the point behind. of Gilly was that she had uh, written Mance Raider's kid and was protecting him right. the, the show Gilly doesn't do anything other than escort Sam yep. and, and there's so it. much t- right. that there's so much time devoted to them and it's stupid because Sam could just go to uh, the Citadel and he does not need her one iota to get there. You could have a shot of Sam on a boat and then that could like you could have room for other more interesting scenes. Like I totally agree. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, their, their scenes always seem like show filler to me. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that's my problem yeah. with it. There's a lot now. of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, this is even like, why do we need this scene? To set up that they're, they know a way through the wall, but... You could have I mean, done they that. Could just show up at the wall yeah, while they're going you, through the fucking hole. Or you could have done that and merged that with another scene from another episode and kind of just add that on real quick. Um, yeah, this seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, one thing, I guess it's a nice point about it's, it's, I don't know what relevance it has, but like how uh, uh, ignorance of knowledge comes off as magic. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is absolutely true. I mean, I don't know how planes work. I'm sure, like, I know, like, in general how it works, but I couldn't make a plane fucking fly. It's fucking magic to me. But, uh, but yeah, That's it's not really... insane clown posse shit right there, man. You get, like, you're, like, this close to talking about magnets. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about the whole magnets thing. <laughs> why, why did they think magnets were so amazing? Just not to, de- not to derail us. But, I like, think that's they... pretty random. There's a lot more amazing things than magnets. 
because I think it, I think it's one of those things where, um, like, you, you, there's a force that happens, kind of like, kind of like the force, in which like something is pushing on something else or attracting something else, and you can't see it. Like, you can't see the working of it. Like, I guess you can see like a combustion engine. You know, you can see a spark and then like fly fire happen. Um, but I guess it's because you can't see the magnetic energy between them. I don't know. So ICP, they're very like visual learners, I guess is what you're saying. That's probably it, yeah. Exactly it. So that they don't have a visual I mean, for the are, magnet yeah, lines. They, are, they, they are clowns after all. I mean, I would <laughs> remove the word learn. <laughs> <laughs> they're very uh, visual people. I've known uh, uh, former and hopefully permanently former guest host uh, Jermaine since college. And uh, I remember freshman year of college, that clown put on The Great Malenko by the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> oh trying to convince me that it was awesome. Oh, Jermaine. Uh, Jermaine, Jermaine. Fantastic. All right. So okay, we so next? Uh, next we uh we accompany the hound and Aria and they're they're deep into their uh their sideshow going on. Not sideshow, but you know, their pairing here. Uh they come across a merchant uh taking salt pork to the wedding at the twins. The hound knocks the guy out uh and is about to kill him, but before he's stopped by Aria. Arya chides the hounds uh, and saying, you know, he thinks he's so tough. Well, she knows a real killer. I guess she's referring to Jake and Agar. Uh, and we get this joke that's actually pretty good where the hound says, is that unconscious guy, uh, is that him? And she says no, and he's like, good. So he, he goes to whatever, move in. Eventually, Arya uh, just begs the hound not to kill him, just begs him. And then he finally relents and saying she's a good person to get her killed one day or something along those lines. Uh, but, you know... Just as the merchant begins to come to, Arya knocks him back out, saying, you know, proving to us as the audience that she's not that good. Um, yeah. I thought that she was referring to, uh, what's his nuts, the water dancer guy. Yeah, I thought Her that sword. at first, too, but then when I read it, watched it a mm-hmm. second time, uh, why was she not? The, I mean, uh, Jake and Agar is more of a fucking killer, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really get much out of the scene. Um, that scene kind of seemed like filler to me. Why does the hound knock the guy out after he fixes his wagon <laughs> and then uh, plans to kill him? That was my big takeaway. Well, I guess he was going to use the wagon? wagon. He's going to take the wagon, and okay, that's how right. they're going to get into the twins. So I guess he had that plan going all oh, around. Oh, that's right. But okay, my my right, thing right, was right. why did he, why did he knock him out if he was going to kill him after knocking him out? Right, why right. just pull your sword and kill him? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. There's a lot of. I mean, why even just kill him? Uh, I mean, I would think that would raise a dead body would raise more questions than. Got be, I don't know. It's just. It's, I didn't like the scene. It seems stupid. But anyways, yeah. I, I usually like their scenes together, but this one was just kind of like, huh? But whatever. I think that they're so right now. They're still in a very antagonistic phase, and it hasn't yes. crossed into like the kind of fun dynamic yet. Yeah, that's true. Mutual yeah. respect that we get well, after the wedding. Yeah, which is – I think this show does a good job of developing these kinds of one-on-one relationships where they don't start out nearly as good as they end up. Like the Bronn and, and uh, Tyrion took a long time to develop. The kind of um, uh, Sansa and the Hound relationship took a little while to develop. So uh, I think they do that well. And the Tyrion show. and the uh, Theon and Ramsey uh, relationship took a little <laughs> while to <laughs> really get off the ground. <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah. Right, so next we go – Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. No, I was just saying, let's move on. So no, I was going to go to the next scene. I know. Oh, yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. do it. So next we see the, uh, the the little rascals, as you refer to them, um, uh, Jojen, Mira, Bran, Rickon, Osha, and Tall Guy Hodor arrive at a tower uh, far to the north. The tower is part of a small farm, but it's apparently unoccupied. Uh, they speculate that the occupants have left due to the wildlings, but Osha is not amused by this. Suddenly a storm is upon the horizon, so the little rascals decide to set up camp at the tower. Now, am I not mistaken in thinking this is the uh, windmill that they windmill windmill that they saw from the previous episode, and that Egret uh, thought was like a castle, a lord's castle? Am I way off? Mm. Does it matter? I guess not. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know because how would they? Who's juggling? Hmm. Somebody juggling was <laughs> juggling. Rewinding a VCR tape. Or... <laughs> Is that Jim's beard again? Or I don't know. No, I don't uh, think so. I'm not sure what juggling sounds like, honestly. So <laughs> what? <Juggling. laughs> 
All right, let's, let's, let's keep it back on track. All right, so, uh, so anything, any, anybody want to even comment on this scene? Okay, no. great. Let's move on. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so uh, these we, are always my least least favorite scenes. I what, have to admit th- that group right there, the uh, little yeah, rascals. I, yeah, it just never kind of you get you get a little momentum later with some changes, but like it's it always it, it always attracts a little bit for me. Um, the, yeah, I don't. The I brand stuff like, I think is. Go ahead. No, you're the guest. Go. So I would say, I mean, the brand stuff I think is tough because it's it it kind of stands apart. It moves a little bit slower than a lot of the other stuff. Like it's this like slow, like kind of magical awakening. So it's like really different from like everything else that's going on They're They're for the most part, especially, you know, at the beginning of the season onward, they're just totally separate from everybody else almost all the time. <laughs> um, and they're just like walking through the woods. For, I mean, for seasons and seasons which is not the most interesting thing um so it's 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 kind of tough i mean i mean let's let's put it this way brand's story is he walks to a tree he learns something <laughs> and then he, he walks, walks back, back yeah. like that's that's pretty much it like that's yeah yeah and, that's, and also i think that like all of these awakenings that are supposedly happening on this trip are very confusing to to a single show watcher like if you don't have any of this history I know when I first watched it, I didn't know what the hell was going on with Bran until I went back and read the books. It's so opaque. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's Not only is it magic, which the show is not big on magic, period, but it's a lot of, you know, yeah, you're right. It's a lot of, like, eat, pray, love, <laughs> like, <laughs> how Stella got her groove back, kind of like a mental uh, or emotional or whatever, or like a uh, coming of age type of thing that happens mainly, like, in his head, like, or like we don't really get to see much of it. And I, I really don't like I feel like they tried to play up the relationship or build a relationship amongst these characters and they had a piss poor job. I, I don't like how they tried to make uh, Asha antagonistic towards uh God. Jojo and Mira. Mira, yeah. Uh, I just didn't mm. like that. And they could have they could have had them be kids a little bit, like, you know, just had them be, you know, kind of goof off or I don't know, just I just don't care about any of these characters. I really don't. Yeah, and the other issue I think is we've discussed this quite a bit during the show. Is there some of these important characters? They just kind of have these check-in scenes that don't really do anything in terms of moving the show forward, or a lot of times are not interesting. Where some of the check-in scenes can be interesting. Uh, they, I think, the check-in scenes with this the little rascals here always fall flat. Agreed. All right, so let's move on. Uh, the wildling raiding party that had come over the wall, they chance upon an old man's house uh, who raises horses for the Night's Watch, turns out. Uh, John pleads with them not to kill him. Uh, and um, we get the second time that a Stark has begged for the life of some innocent person, Arya being the first one in the previous scene or two pre- scenes past. Um, so mm. uh, Tormund says, fuck that noise, uh, and orders them to surround the place and uh, attack. Uh, John joins them begrudgingly, but warns the old man by knocking his sword against a stone or something like that, making a noise. Uh, the old man uh, hears the noise and allows him to grab a horse and make a getaway. John also uh, prevents uh, Egret from shooting him with an arrow, uh, at least saving the guy's life for now. And I'm sorry, do we get the, uh, what are the, the, the Thens? Are they part of this group? They obviously have to be, or they meet up with them later. They meet up with them later, yes. Yeah, they meet up later. Okay. Yeah. So this scene illustrated to me, I, I always kind of get lulled into this thing where I kind of like the wobblings and I'm kind of on their side. But then you just realize they're pieces of garbage who just are basically <laughs> pirates. Yeah. I mean, they're stealing this dude's stuff and kill him, kill him so or want to kill him so you just won't tell on them. I mean, they're pieces of shit, realistically. Yeah. They can they can argue that there's a war between the the two sides of the wall, but if you're just going over and killing people and taking stuff, uh, it's hard to say that you're in the right. Well, that's why I I couldn't get behind any of the Iron Island stuff, even in the books. I was like, these people are just garbage. Like, you know, yeah. um, Asha or Osha or Yara, whatever the fuck her name is in the show. Uh, she she's you know all about uh you know she's a woman. She's like fighting to to be taken seriously as a woman. But she's still like, you know, it's all about letting, you know, raping and pillaging, um, you know, and these people are just those people are garbage people, too. So it's hard to, like, even want to read any of those uh, chapters. 
Um, yeah, well, the Iron Islanders, they keep saying, I pay the iron price. You know what the iron price is? Theft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's larceny. It's not like some glorious yeah. thing as they portray it. But how would that work in a court of I, law? I kind of think that that makes them awesome in a way, just because they're just so traditionally, they're like pirates that someone granted like uh, like a territory to. I, so I, I kind of like the Iron Islanders, honestly. I think they're kind of fun. They're, I don't think they're meant to be like, people you necessarily root for um but i but i enjoy them as characters but the wildlings i agree they're just kind of like they kind of have a point because they're like we got to haul ass out of here because it's bad up here but you know that that makes them a little sympathetic but then they're just going to be like let's murder people for fun and like take their stuff it's like well there goes your sympathy i guess i don't know like yeah yeah i'm with you on that sure the what the one thing i'll say about the iron islanders is they they have a like a more distinct like culture, the, like pirate culture and like right. seafaring culture that uh, makes them a little bit more interesting and stand out. But um, the wild things, their whole point is that they don't really have any culture. It's just kind of like do whatever the fuck you want. Kind of, no right? rules, just right. We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish we would have had a scene with uh, one of the Iron Islanders taking over a ship and saying, look at me now. Look at me. I am the captain now. <laughs> All right. So, uh, bad jokes aside, uh, we go back to Ari and the Hound. Uh, they're approaching the twins, but apparently they stop for a snack, which kind of belays the hand's concern of being caught. Yeah, I don't uh, understand this. <laughs> no, I don't either, other than to... I, I actually don't understand, period, this scene, other than filler, I guess. Ari and the Hound discuss how Ari is nervous they aren't going to make it to the twins. Hound kind of teases her or goads her in response to... It, her nervousness and continuous stare at the twins. In response, Arya brings up the Han's uh, pyrophobia and also the reason behind the scars. Still a very antagonistic relationship, as I mentioned earlier. Arya kind of gives uh, the Hound a stink eye and says that someday she will stab him in the eye. Then she makes a dumb face and walks back to look at the twins again. Oh, while the Hound gnaws on a, uh, a hog's mall. Yeah. Hog's mall? <laughs> I think that's a synonym for uh, Big Steve. Okay, I'll take your word for that. Oh, no, Hog's Maw is the stomach of the pig. I apologize for not getting my my, uh, less desirable pig parts. Yeah. Uh, Nomenclature, correct. And where does pork belly come from? That is from the muscle underneath. Uh. (laughs) The belly. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't... This scene doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I... This might have even been in the book where this conversation takes place where he questions, like, you know, you think you're not going to get there. Or she just has that conversation mentally. This is also something because we have that, uh, you know, kind of third-person omniscient uh, uh, perspective in the book. So maybe she had to verbalize her reservations for finally getting home or getting to her family again. Um, But, yeah, it seems like kind of a waste, and it's just more of the being antagonistic uh, to each other. Um, but I, I, and to think, you know, uh, this almost like, it's like too much of a letting the audience know what's coming. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. It's like, we can't be there yet. Why not? Cause we can't. And, and it's just deliberately kind of keeping Aria from where she wants to be kind of in a lazy fashion. Right. I feel um, like this did need to happen. They could have had this conversation about her being nervous after she, after they dealt with the merchant in the same scene. Right. Yeah. Well, guess what? Why the fucking cart's moving forward? <laughs> that, that too. That would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, I agree also. I will say that I... I, I mean, I kind of always like Arya and her, like, kind of buddy of the week. Like, the stuff with her and Tywin was amazing. And Yeah. Yes. For the, for the most part, I mean, you know, this is the beginnings of it, but, you know, especially next season... The, the Arya and the Hound show is one of the, the best things ever. Um, I really like the, the the end of the scene where she's like, one day I'll put a sword through your eye. I, and just the look on his face, because he, he conveys this look that part of him wants to be like, fuck you. And part of him believes her. Part yeah. of him's like, shit, she, could, she might be able to do that one day. Right. I think that's kind of great. Um, yeah. That's pretty much it, though. Yeah, and I don't think that's yeah. going to yeah, come but to she, she had such a goofy look on her face when she walked away from... After saying that line, I didn't know how to interpret that facial expression that she had. Maybe she's bad. Completely blank. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it was. Um, but generally, she's good, so I won't say too much about that. Right. 
All right. Okay, so uh, back at the Broken Down Tower, the little rascals are hunkering down for the night, um, talking about what their next move is going to be, whether they're going to go to the, you know, uh, Bay of Pigs or whatever, get around the wall that way, or go to Castle Black. Uh, Asha doesn't want to do go north at all. Uh, and as the storm is approaching, um, Hodor is getting increasingly upset and making loud Hodors. Um, the old man that the wildlings were chasing shows up and uh, is cornered by the wildlings beneath the tower. Um, Hodor continues to make a racket, um, and they're trying to calm him down, but he just won't uh, chill out. Orel hears this outside, and he looks at the tower. Um, but suddenly he's calmed down. Hodor's calmed down by Bran. Uh, using his magic powers. Uh, and then we cut back downstairs, and they've cornered the old man, and Orel wants John to kill him to prove his loyalty. Meanwhile, uh, back in the tower, Jojen urges Bran to warg into the two direwolves that are outside. Uh, I guess that's going to be Shaggy Dog and um, Summer. Uh, John hesitates in killing the old man um, so long that they eventually say, see, he's a traitor, and Egret shoots the guy. Uh, for John, so he doesn't have to do it, I guess. So that's a nice girl killing, you know, doing your killing for you. Uh, just um, uh, John is accused of being a traitor, and a scrum ensues. Uh, Bran finally gets his shit together and wargs into the two direwolves, and they begin eating people. Uh, John uses this opportunity to kill Orel, uh, but before he can do so, uh, Orel wargs into an eagle and attacks John's face. Uh, John fends off the bird and ends up galloping away on his horse. Um, one of the horses, I guess, that the uh, wildlings took from the old man's ranch. My question was with this, where Bran warged into uh, Hodor very quickly. He didn't really stand there. He came back immediately, but Hodor was just kind of asleep all of a sudden. So I'm not sure. Did, does anybody have like an explanation for that, or am I thinking about it uh, too critically? Well, I think the working into a person is forbidden, if, right? Yeah, it's essentially forbidden. I it's think it's like rape. really, really, yeah, yeah, it's like super intrusive. And I imagine it really just takes almost everything out of Hodor is kind of the idea of it. So afterwards, he's kind of totally sapped. Um, and I think it, it sets up, you know, him him doing it again and having kind of mixed feelings about, about it. And then, of course, we all know like what where it all sort of leads with Hodor and everything. So I think they're just starting to set up that kind of stuff. Um, right. Right. Gotcha. Well, that, 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 that it exhausts the, uh, warg E well, explains why he passes out immediately. I just don't oh, understand right. why he, yeah. was, why he like, passed out. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that doesn't really come across. You're absolutely right, Brian. Yeah. It does not come across at all. I think in the, uh, the books, they go in a little more detail. Brand describes, uh, sensing Hodor's presence while being inside his body and referring it to being like a small, like child huddle, like huddling in the a corner or something. So uh, definitely, Hodor's going. Hodor is going away inside. So it's very similar to uh, you know somebody who's been accosted, uh, 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 I guess. Yes. Pretty disturbing. So shit. I also, I also noticed uh, during the scene that uh, when the wildlings kind of turned on John, and they they kind of rushed towards each other to start fighting. John kind of shoved Egret because uh, it, it appeared to me at least Egret initially raised her bow to fight the wildling. So I, I I thought that was an interesting point because it it showed John cared about Egret, knew that they could never be together, and then also tried to save her at the same time because you know she goes and fights against the the wildlings. I mean, what would realistically happen? You know, yeah, she probably get killed. Probably, or I mean, even even long term. Uh, it's not like he could have her as his wife at, as part of the Night's Watch or anything. Uh, I think John is still viewing this as a mission, even though there are complicating factors in the form of Egret. That's what every girl wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, you're complicating factors. Yeah. Yeah, the whole... I, uh, John's kind of motivation all through this season is a little bit kind of murky for me and they part of it i think goes back to the end of the last season where they um have him kill half and that's sort of different from the books and it's just a little bit i mean i think they're trying to make it ambiguous but more than anything else it's just kind of not clear to me at least yeah it's mm -hmm. very confusing um 
so I don't like I don't know if at any point they really want you to think he's actually wants to be a wildling. I, I mean, like as a as a watcher, I, I I think they kind of maybe almost want you to think that, but I don't know that at any point you really would. Um, so I think this, they're trying to make attention there, and I don't know that they really do. Um, mm. It just sort of makes for these awkward scenes where the wildlings are kind of just like, "You're not one of us," and he's like, "Yes, I am." Um, just kidding. Not no, I'm not. Particularly, and it's not particularly impressive, right? And then the, there's when he stabs what's his face, and he's like, "I was against you the whole time." And, you know, I think it's <laughs> yeah, supposed to be really this dumb. like revealing <laughs> that moment. Was really dumb. Like, yeah, yeah, like it was pretty obvious that you didn't want to do any of this the whole time. But like, obviously, what choice do you have? Because you're literally captured by them, and I mean, this even if you didn't have much of a choice, this would be better than getting like skinned alive and then having to eat your own skin and then poop your skin out. Like, obviously, it would be better than that. So, I think most things are probably better than that. It's how I imagine the wildlings would torture. I don't know for sure. I I just think this is another (laughs) this is another situation where we got to see the or or hear the internal struggle of John's mind in the book, whereas he couldn't come out to anybody. He couldn't. He he couldn't even be honest to Egret. So how how is he going to have this conversation, or how is he going to come across as being conflicted? I'm not excusing the show because I'm sure there probably is a better way if we thought about it, guys. But um, it just doesn't come across at all as him being conflicted. It seems on the show side of things that he was always with the Night's Watch, yes. never going to change, not even for Egret, not even a little bit. He just felt but bad about point- it. To the point where it's really surprising that they trust him as much as they do. I guess that's the thing that always bugged me. Yes. Like it, in the show, you get the sense that maybe he will sort of like work with them, and he does. Like eventually, he he leads a, a lot of these people, um, and like both on the show and the book, like lobbies for them to be included with the with the Night Watch and like stand against the the you know the others together. Um, but he, but here it's just sort of like uh, I just don't even get why they wouldn't just like kill him. Um, yeah, we discussed know. that with when he went to the Wildling camp within like fifteen minutes. He was already Vance Raider's uh, right hand man. I mean, yeah, that, I never, I never, so quick. Yeah, I never bought how they handled that. Honestly, it just seemed very convenient. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of story to tell on the show, so I get it. Can we take a uh, quick halftime break here? Sure. Bye. Everybody, take bye. Once again, that was the end of part one. Uh, we will be back next week for part two. See you next Tuesday.